I want to welcome a few people. We've got several people joined with us online, and then we also have the privilege on a weekly basis of joining uh, the Eunice Correctional Facility and the brothers and sisters in Christ that are down there. Would you please help me in welcoming all of those and just make sure we've got a microphone over. We want them to hear us. Come on, let them know that we're grateful. We love you guys, and we're thankful that you take the time to join us today. I've got a lot of scripture, okay, and it's probably going to do you better today to just try to write them down than flip in your Bible and try to keep up, okay? As you're, as you're just preparing, I want to encourage you to prepare right now to take some notes. I always was told that a, a short pencil was better than a long memory. And, and some of us, as, as, as we get older, we're realizing um, that even our thumbs and our phone is, is better than anything else that we may have. And maybe we can just nudge our significant other and say, hey, I need you to take notes for me today. We're going to look over this later together. I want to also remind you as you're kind of preparing for that, if you just kind of look over in this direction, it, it, we're not having a science fair. We're having small groups Okay? And I want you guys to really consider being a part of a small group, whatever that may be. And if we don't have one that suits you, then we want you to let us know so that we can maybe recruit and raise and release some more leaders for some more small groups next fall. And back there, there's only one. My wife moved it, and I didn't like it, so I moved it back. And I have a men's coffee on Thursday morning at 640 at the Mosaic Cafe. Guys, if you're not already at work by 640, just drop in there. We'll be in the back. Find a small group. Get involved. Also, today, we've got our first step of next steps. And if you've never been through next steps, we want you to come join us. I've had a, a few of our people ask, Pastor, do I need to go through next steps? And I said, I would prefer that you do. I would really appreciate if you took the time to go through next steps. That way, you're familiar with what we do and how we do it. And so, if you have been considering going to next steps, listen, consider no more. Just commit and come on after service, the second service today, right after second service, okay? The message today is called, It's My Prayer. It's, it's my prayer. I want to talk to you about taking ownership of your prayer. In this series, the challenge, the challenge, if you didn't write it down last week or if you haven't heard this, the challenge of this series is to develop better conversations with God. Develop better conversations with God. If you don't take ownership then you're not going to develop that conversation. It's not going to be someone else doing it for you that causes you to grow closer to God. It's going to be you deciding, making a conscious decision to intentionally pursue Him in a way that you are currently not, and that will cause you to be closer to Him. He is standing and waiting for you. We're not waiting on God to move. He's already moved. Listen, if I gave you my first and only son, and then you came back to me and asked me for something else, I'd be just a little bit offended. God has moved. He is moving. He is waiting for us to recognize and engage, pursue and acknowledge not only what he's done, but what he's doing and what he wants to do. And in order to do that, we have got to take ownership of that conversation. It's not a one-sided conversation. It's not all up to God. 
It's not all up to us. He has given us dominion. He has given us the ability to decide to take ownership of our relationship with him and make the most of it. I'm going to give you four scriptures quickly. Just write them down. You can go back and look at them later. Psalm chapter 4, verse 1. The psalmist says, answer me when I call to you. Oh, God, who declares me innocent. That's God's part. Free me from my troubles. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Do you hear the divine echo here? Psalm chapter 3, verse 4. Psalm chapter 3, verse 4. I cried out to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy mountain. You can see this relationship working as the, the individual pursues God, and then God responds. When we recognize His presence, He responds in His presence. Psalm chapter 18, verse 6. In my distress... I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. It's ownership. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Psalm 120 verse 1. This is the last one. Psalm 120 verse 1. I took my troubles to the Lord. I cried out to him. And he answered my prayer. It is, it is my prayer. Now listen, I, I, don't want you to be, uh, I don't want you to be uncomfortable with stepping out and agreeing with other people in prayer. I don't want you to like second guess, well, I don't need anybody else to pray for me. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what we're saying. Because the Spirit of God wants to minister to two or three that gather in His name also. Okay, so we're not saying that we don't want you to to step out during that prayer time and and come and meet with somebody, come agree with somebody in prayer. In fact, that is the main reason that we went into this series. And for the first several weeks, we just wanted to develop a conversation with God, period, develop a prayer life personally, encourage you to step out and agree with others. But at the same time, even though we want to pray with you on Sunday morning, we have people who look forward to the opportunity to stand in the front and down each side of the sanctuary every week and pray with you as you step out. But at the same time, you've got to take ownership. You can't just expect everybody else to do the work for you. No one will develop your relationship with God the way that you can. No one else will pray for you the way that you can. That's important. You need to understand that nobody's going to pray with as much passion. Nobody's going to pray with as much fervency. Nobody, even as much as I try to muster up, especially after service, because I really love you and I care about you. In between services, when you come to me and you ask me, Pastor, I need you to pray with me. Real, I just, I need, I got, da, 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 da. the first thing I'm going to say is, well, did you come up during the prayer time? Or did you step out during the prayer time? Have you been praying for yourself? Okay, and then some, a lot of times people ask me for prayer and I'll pray with them. But I know in my heart that there is, that prayer did absolutely no good. Because they don't need more prayer, they need more discipline. They don't need me to pray over them. 
They need to accept responsibility for their actions and make, a, make an adjustment in their lives, apply the word of God to their lives, and then something will begin to change. Now, I'll pray for you, but I would rather you get a little uncomfortable. Would you do, just do yourself a favor and don't respect your comfort more than other people's time. Don't respect your comfort more than other people's time. Now, we want to pray for you. We want to minister to you. That's why we have all these different ways. And I encourage you every Sunday, man, write your prayer need down. We lay hands on those things. We sit for an hour almost every, every Tuesday as a staff. And we pray over the things. We agree in, in prayer for those things. But listen, as long as you lean on somebody else to develop your prayer life, as long as you lean on somebody else to develop your relationship, then that person will be the ceiling for your relationship with God. You've got to take ownership. We have to take ownership because no one else will pray for us the way that we can pray for ourselves. I heard a story this past week and I've got a, a few pictures just to, to show you this couple and illustrate. But uh, we're going to call them for short. We'll call them Al and Britt Briones. They were a newly married couple. They were in Atlanta, Georgia. They're, this was last year. They had only been married for about a month, and uh, she found out that she was pregnant. <laughs> it's terrible. Okay, so I was like, honeymoon, we're going to grow together. We're going to wait at least five years to have any babies. In the first year, Megan's like, boop, I'm pregnant. Merry Christmas. Like, that's okay, thanks. And then you got to act excited. You know what I'm saying? Like, Merry Christmas, I'm pregnant. No, you're not. For real? Okay. Yay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, so one month into this thing, they find out they're pregnant. Okay, and then they get in. And you got a young, newly married, early 20s. Come on, some of y'all remember. <laughs> some of you are there. You're like, oh, okay. They're newly married. They're pregnant. And they go into the pregnancy, and she begins to have complications, significant complications. They take her in, and, and she has preeclampsia, severe preeclampsia her body's shutting down her organs are shutting down and they're having some major issues so they started praying that was their own words so we began to pray at 26 weeks the baby was delivered do you have a picture of the baby up that's the baby little bitty 26 weeks old they had this baby in Atlanta Georgia and he's there, and his name is Abel. He's a year old now, but he was there. And he was having, obviously, all the complications that would come with a 26-week-old baby. But they started praying and proclaiming the name of Jesus over this baby. Praying and proclaiming the name of Jesus over this baby. That's, that's Britt, her praying over her baby in the hospital she was believing. They were there. They were laying hands. Now, just hold that one for just a second because here's where this, this story turns into a powerful testimony. They prayed so much over their baby. 
And they had so many people that they partnered with. Because when you're going through something significant, I, I want you to take ownership. But man, don't die in secrecy. Share it with somebody. Let two or three agree with you. Let somebody come alongside of you and walk through that situation with you. Share your heart and let them share in your pain and share in your grief and agree with you in prayer. Well, they had so many people coming and praying over this baby. And you can see that sign. If you can't read it from the back, it says, if you're reading this, pray for me. A miracle is about to happen. Praying and proclaiming the name of Jesus. They had nurses and doctors come to them and say, we have caught people going into that room, not just to pray, but just to sit we have had nurses and staff members go into this child's room because they could sense the presence of God. They weren't taking care of the baby. They weren't doing anything. They would just go sit in the room because they could sense the presence of God so tangibly because of the covering of prayer that had been placed in that, in that room. They sensed the presence of God. And many, many, according to the testimony of Al, the father of this baby, many had re committed their lives. Many had received salvation. Many had sat in the presence of God with baby Abel and began to pray for him even though they didn't know him and began to pray for themselves and give their lives back to Jesus. People were getting saved. Watch this. 246 days later. 246 days after he was born. They got the news that they were going home. Do you have the whiteboard? This is what she had written on the whiteboard. How good is that? God is able. And then we have a picture of them coming out of the room. They were walking down the hallway with their baby. And you can see he's still got some stuff going on. He's still got some complications. And watch this. Then they're at home, okay? And this, is, this video is about a year later. There he is. That's Abel and Britt and Al. They're together in their home with their baby. Listen, this year... They're not mad at God. They're not angry because of their situation. They said this year in January of 2018, they were fasting and praying, praying and fasting and believing God to continue to use their son to minister and reach people with the gospel. They didn't just get mad. They didn't just feel entitled. They took ownership. No, God, you gave us this promise. You conceived this thing inside of me. It was birth, and it doesn't look like what we expected it to look like. It doesn't feel like what we expected it to feel, but nobody is going to pray for me the way that I'm going to pray for me. Nobody's going to pray for my baby the way that I'm going to pray for my baby. Nobody's going to reach into my situation the way that God has given me the ability to reach into my situation. Nobody's going to go after my, my lost child, my drifting child, the way that I'm going to go after my drifting child. Nobody is going to minister to my spouse the way that I'm going to minister to my spouse. I'll be gone before somebody else comes into my bride's life and does what my, I was responsible for. Ain't nobody picking up the slack in my relationship. Daddy's going to do what daddy needs to do to make that relationship right. Nobody is going to work your job, find your direction, pray for your finances, reach your family, or administer to your future the way that you can minister to your future when you take ownership and you say, it's not your prayer, it's not your prayer, it's not your prayer. It's my prayer, and he's my God, and I'm going to call upon his name 
name. And when I do, he will answer. Because when we call out to God, he answers our prayer. That's the prayer effect when we take ownership. Now, this is going to get a little heavy just for a few minutes. But we need to remove the entitlement and replace it with ownership. Do you know why our nation, and, and, and this just, just came upon me when I was, when I was preparing, and, but our nation is a culture of entitlement. Just leave that for just a second. Because the church became a culture of entitlement. See, we as the church get mad about what our taxes do or do not go to. But it was us that started pointing the finger at God and expecting and feeling more entitled than we were repenting and taking ownership. And what happens in the church multiplies in the world. So before we get mad at the culture that we live in, before we get mad at secular society for their mentality of entitlement, let's take back ownership ourselves. When it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to our prayer life, when it comes to, to our living this thing out on a weekly basis, let's change the mentality of, owner, of entitlement into a mentality of ownership. People just don't own. And I don't mean anymore. Well, we used to back in the... No, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. That's why we are the way that we are. Listen, you know who to bl- who's to blame for the baby... Bo- I'm sorry, for, yeah, for the baby boomers? Their parents. That's who's to blame. Do you know who is to blame for the millennials? Their parents. Do you know who is to blame for the next generation? The previous generation. Do you know who is to blame for whether this church does or does not achieve the will of God 20 years from now? Us. It's nobody's fault but ours. And when we take ownership and stop having a sense of entitlement, then so will they. We have this idea that we're owed something. Instead of having a motivation of owning it. This is mine. We have a renter's mentality. Instead of a homeowner's mentality. And I've, I've had both. Fortunately, I, I didn't really love renting as long as I, as long as I did. But, but man, when I, was, when I was renting, man, I just didn't. We, our air conditioner went out one time. I was like, hey, your air's out. We're going to a hotel. You need to come fix this. <laughs> yeah, that was it. That's, that's fine, right? But when I'm a homeowner, when, I, when, it's, when it's, it's my house, come on, when it's my house, I take ownership. And when something's wrong in my house, I find a way to make it right. And I do whatever I have to do, like, like Jimmy said in his video, whatever it takes, there is something I want to be that I am currently not. There's something that I need to happen that's currently not happening. And so instead of looking around and see whose fault it may be, or looking around and seeing who who else may be able to take care of it for me, all I'm going to do is look around and see who, who may be able to help me take care of it. No is not a good answer. 
pulled up to Taco Bell last week. Came around the corner, and I was ordering, and I wanted to add something, but somebody was behind me. So I pulled up and waited for one car for longer than I wanted to, and that's just because I'm impatient, and I was hungry, and those don't go well together. If I'd have had donuts, I'd have been okay, but I was waiting. And then I get up to the window, and they gave me my, well, now, I, was, I haven't paid for my order yet, and I said, hey, uh, can you add me a, a steak? Um, quesarito thingy just whatever big thing with some cheese and sauce and steak in it he's like oh I don't know can't do that I was like yeah you can so he just add it to my order it's like I hadn't paid yet see here's the money <laughs> he's like okay so he says into the back and then I hear this voice in the background and I was like mm, that, ain't, that didn't go well so he comes back and he says I'm sorry sir we can't do that and I was like, I can't pay for the rest of my order. It's the weirdest thing. Like, it's right here. I just can't let it go. And it wasn't his fault, so I didn't make him wear it. But listen, when, you, when I ask for something, I'm not looking for no. We can't do that. There is a way. Listen to me. There is always a way. There's always a way. No is not an acceptable answer. There's always a way. God doesn't even say no. He says yes, not yet, or I've got something better. We don't have to just say no to things when he's got all kinds of other things that we can say yes to. You don't have to just remove something from your life and then do without it. You can replace it with something else. And trust me, even though I paid my tab at the time and I took my food and I high-fived that guy, I went home and replaced that quesarito with all kinds of stuff that I was had in my refrigerator the answer no is not an acceptable I can't is not an acceptable answer not for a believer we're not owed anything we're supposed to own it we're supposed to take ownership of those things do you know what we're owed we are owed a sinner's separation from God that's what we're owed. Well, pastor, that's a, that's a little extreme, don't you think? Well, okay, so I believe in the Bible, okay? And I believe that there's a heaven and a hell. And hell wasn't created for me. It was created for Lucifer and his fallen angels. But every time that I decide to follow him instead of Jesus, then I, I, I'm, I'm tempting myself with that place that wasn't prepared for me. And I believe in the scripture. And, and if, if you don't believe in the Bible, then we have, need to have a different conversation. But if you do believe in the Bible, then you have to believe that the Bible says if you've broken one law, then you're guilty of all of them. Okay, so here's what that means. If you've ever taken one thing, then you're a thief. Oh, that's a little extreme. I, I didn't, I'm just the messenger, okay? It's just in there. Read the Bible Believe and do what it says. It's really, it's not that complicated. Like this thing, we really mess this thing up way too often. Read the Bible, believe and do what it says, and you will achieve God's will. If you have ever lied one time, told one little lie to get yourself out of trouble, you're a liar. My little girl, as precious as she is, asked her a question yesterday. She's like, nope. And I was like... You got this stupid look on your face. You're doing the thing. She's like, no, I'm not. I said, you are lying to me right now. I'm going to whip you with a belt. 
for lying to me. I'm not. Yes, you are. You are lying to me. And then I went off on this just tangent because I got mad. Like, if my kids mess something up, okay, let's fix it. Let's clean it up. Let's make it right. But if you lie to me, whoo, I told her, you can tell me anything in the world. And we're going to work it out because I'm your daddy and I love you. But you better hope that I don't find out before you tell me. And if I do find out, you better not ever lie to me. Because I can't help you with your lying. My baby girl is a liar. My seven-year-old beautiful little girl. And if she doesn't follow Jesus and find Jesus, then she's going to get better at lying than she is following him. And then what will be prepared for her is separation from the guy that she didn't follow. Man, that's a little extreme. Well, Jesus said, if you look at a member of the opposite sex inappropriately, then you committed adultery with that person in your heart. You're an adulterer. That's a sin. Sin separates you from God. Well, I think I'm a pretty good person, Pastor. Yeah, okay. So my teenagers used to do that. Pastor, I'm a pretty good kid. I mean, I don't da 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 I mean, I may, I may do this and this and this every now and then, but I'm, I'm a pretty good kid. I was in East Texas. That's how they all talked. I was like, okay, you're a good kid. You're a good person. Awesome. Here's what I want you to do. Starting tonight, within 30 minutes of this service being over with, I want you to take a piece of paper, and I want you to write down every thought, every thought that you have. If you have a dream, wake up and write it down. Every desire that you have for the next six days, I want you to write it down on a piece of paper. Good, beautiful, bad, ugly, gross, nasty, perverted, whatever it is, write it down. And then next week, because you're such a good person, I want you to come back to church next Wednesday night, and I'm going to have you read your thoughts and your desires that you had for the last six days to all of us in the sanctuary, because we need to learn how to be good people too. Do you know that I have never had one single person take me up on that offer? Not one time. Have I ever had anybody come back looking for the microphone the next week in church? But I have seen people realize and acknowledge their sin, ask forgiveness, accept repentance, change their mind, and ultimately change the trajectory of their lives because they took ownership of their fault and stopped blaming other people for it. We need to approach the throne of grace with boldness. We do. But we also need to enter His courts with praise. Listen, we need to have a confidence in Christ, but we better have a conviction when we come before the God of all creation. We need both, not this or this, but both. Listen, I love my son. Love that little blonde-headed dude. Man, it, love him the mostest when he's sleeping. Oh, he's so sweet. God bless him. Big old eyes. And he's always in his underwear. It's just, it's just his favorite outfit. I love my son. I love him. Nothing he can do that will cause me to not let... God loves you. Nothing you can do that calls him to stop loving you. But let me tell you something. My son gets irreverent, ignorant, or disrespectful. It's about to get right. Especially if he's talking to his mama. We have a phrase in our house. It's all I have to say. 
When I hear something that I don't like, all I have to say in my house is, who are you talking to? Whether they're talking to me or talking to her or talking to one another. Because God said that we'd be known by our love for one another just as much as we're known for our love for him. So when I say, who are you talking to? It's, a, it's, a, it's auto fix. They're like, myself. I was whispering out loud. It's like, you know. Sometimes, listen, we need to stop and remember who we are talking to when we pray. When we point our finger. Let me read you quickly. Job chapter 38. I'm not going to read you the whole chapter. I'm going to read quickly. I want you to hear the, who are you talking to in this passage? Verse 1. I'm going to read 1 through 12. The Lord answered Job from a whirlwind. <laughs> God, where are you? Where are you? <laughs> okay. I'm good. I'm good. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you. And you're going to get to answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who keeps the sea inside its boundaries? as it burst from the womb, and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no further will you come. Here, your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Jump down to verse 16. Have you ever explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize that the extent of the earth, tell me about it if you know. Where does light come from and where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course, you know all of this, Job, for you were born before it was all created and you are so very experienced. Listen, who are you talking to? Sometimes we need to stop. We need to remember who we're talking to. And even more than that, we need to remember who we're going to stand before and give an account to. We can't run God, remove ourselves from His covering, and then blame Him when things don't go the right way. That's not how this thing works. We do things our way and we wonder why. We go against His will and we wonder why His way doesn't come to pass in our lives. We cry out to Jesus, Jesus, help me, empower me. He says, I have. I am. It's your turn. It's your turn. It's my prayer. Jesus looks down from the right hand of the Father by which He is intercessing on our behalf. He says, I've prayed for you. I'm praying for you. It's your turn. The Holy Spirit spoke this to me. Just dropped this in my spirit as I was preparing this message. He said this, my prayer is much more effective when it's returned by you. Jesus is praying. He's interceding. But the Holy Spirit told me, and if I have to wear it, then I'm going to share it. <laughs> He's telling you. From the voice of Jesus himself, my prayer 
is much more effective when it's returned by you. John 17, verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. What's the glory? I believe personally, it's the glory of ownership. It's the glory of accepting the blame so that you can do something about it. That's what Jesus changed by His obedience. Because of one man's disobedience, all were condemned. But because of one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. It's my prayer that matters. My holiness is in Him. And my life is because of Him. My righteousness is in Him. And if I have any rights whatsoever, it's because of Him. Outside of that, I'm not entitled to anything, and He doesn't owe me anything. But watch this. When you take ownership, when you obey, something significant happens. This is my final point this morning to give hope to all those who are hungry for those hamburgers. When we obey physically, God will anoint spiritually. I want to give you a minute to write that down. When we obey physically, God will anoint spiritually. Last week I told you that sin is a very dangerous thing. Because sin will take you further, keep you longer, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Sin is a very dangerous thing. Listen, listen. The anointing of God will do the same thing as sin, but in the opposite direction. The anointing of God will take you further than you could have ever imagined being able to go. The anointing of God will keep you longer than you could have thought that you could have ever been kept. And the anointing of God will cost you a little bit on this side of heaven, but when you receive the reward, you will realize that all He did was remove the things that didn't need to be so He could replace it with the things that did need to be. And when you obey in the physical, He anoints in the spiritual. When you rebuke the sin in the physical and you follow Jesus then the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes upon your life and you begin to operate in a way that you would not have been able to operate had you not been obedient physical obedience brings spiritual victory physical obedience brings spiritual victory and I'm not talking about one time in a service I'm not talking about one week did you know that the average person statistically within 40 days of conversion goes back to their previous lifestyle? David Platt wrote a book called Counterculture. He said in that book that 97%, 97% of the people who repent and receive forgiveness, 97% go back to their former path. With no conviction. With no accountability. They return to their former ways. Because for whatever reason. Because we're an instantaneous society. We're a I want it and I want it now kind of people. 
for whatever reason, we stopped obeying physically. Physical obedience brings spiritual victory. Galatians 6, 9, you saw this last week, but let's not get tired of doing what is good. That's physical obedience. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up spiritual victory. James 1.25, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free. Listen, it's really hard to live by a standard that you're unaware of. It's really difficult to follow a Jesus that you're not getting to know. It's going to be really hard to apply the word of God to your life if you don't ever spend any time with it, in it. And you can eat once a week if you want to. But you're going to be pretty skinny. And when the wind blows in the wrong direction, then that's the direction that you're going to go. But as long as you come on a daily basis or as often as possible before the Lord and you grow in Him, you get to know this thing better. Then when the wind blows, it will be the wind of the Spirit and He will take you in the direction that He wants you to go. If you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and then you do what it says... The pastor at the men's conference this past week, man, I hope we have more guys sign up and go with us next year. We had a great time for those two nights that we traveled up and saw, and we had a couple people that took their trailers, and they just camped out Thursday and Friday and came back home yesterday. Great time, Pastor Maury Davis. Highly recommend if you're looking for another pastor to listen to throughout the week, but you better get your big boy britches on if you listen to Pastor Maury because he doesn't hold back many punches. But he said the greatest sermon that he ever heard preached was found in one statement. Read the Bible and do what it says. That was it. Pastor Jadon George, superintendent of the North Texas District for years, was his pastor. And when he was in a maximum security prison, Pastor Jadon George came to him and he said, Look, I know you're trying to figure this thing out. I know you've never been to church and you just gave your life to Jesus. But if you'll just read the Bible and do what it says, then you'll be just fine. Do what it says and don't forget what you heard. Then... God will bless you for do physical obedience, spiritual victory. In Exodus chapter 17, you'll have to go back and read this story on your own. But in Exodus chapter 17, you see Moses commissioned Joshua to go and fight the enemy. The Amalekites had attacked the Israelites. And they needed to fight back. You have the ability to fight back. You don't just have to sit back and hope for the best. You have the armor of God to protect you from the schemes of the enemy. Your weapons of warfare are not carnal and worldly. They are divine in power and able to abolish strongholds. Stop asking other people and stop asking God to do for you what you are perfectly capable of taking ownership of and doing for yourself and everybody that you have influence with. Moses said, Joshua, get some men that will fight. I love how he's just like, hey, look, if they'll fight, take them. <laughs> there ain't no telling who he took. I'd have been looking for some big burly brothers is what I'd have been looking for. So Joshua takes them in, and they go down and they fight. And the Bible says that uh, Moses, Aaron, and Hur. It's always a No, it was a man, H-U-R. 
But every good man of God be spiritually supported by the women of God. Which is why in the United States, and even this morning, if you look around, there's more women in here living for Jesus than there are men. That's a travesty. Guys, it's our turn. It's our turn. It's our turn to stop letting them take up the mantle that God gave us. It's our turn to lead. It's our turn to take a stand. It's our turn to show our sons and our daughters how to worship. Because right now, they think that only feminine people know how to worship God. They think that only sissy men know how to raise their hands in a service. No, I'm telling you, the mightiest thing that a man of God can do is lift his hands in the sanctuary of God, clap his hands in front of the people of God, and give God a shout of victory with his mouth. When we get uncomfortable and we show our sons and our daughters that the manliest thing that we could ever do is submit ourselves before a holy God, we can change a generation in an instant. We cannot blame them for their mentality when we showed them how not to be. It's our turn. It's our turn. So Moses goes up on the hill, and the Bible says, as long as he had his hands lifted, the Israelites won, but he got tired, and he would let his hands down. You know, the only reason that your arms would get tired from being held up in the air is if you don't do it very often. So the longer that he held his hands up in the air, the Israelites would push back, and they would win. And he got tired. So listen, he had help. He asked for help. That's another thing that shows where a man really is. <laughs> I don't know where we are, but she ain't got to know. <laughs> Pull over and ask for some help. Timothy, Paul understood this principle. He wrote about it in Timothy. said, in every place of worship, I went to pray with holy hands lifted to God, free from anger and controversy. Boy, that would just, if we just took that one. Every man, woman, and child. Every place I went to worship. We had three worship songs this morning. I looked around. I was like, man, tough day. I guess Jesus wasn't too good this week. Because worship doesn't have to look like the same thing, but it's got to look like something. Every place of worship I went, every time I prayed, I went with holy hands lifted up to God. That freed me from anger and controversy. This is the posture of prayer. The posture of prayer. One is with hands lifted, another is with head bowed. Daniel chapter 10, I got to go quick. Verse 10. Daniel's writing and he's prophesying about his experience. He was bowed in prayer and he says, Just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling. This is that reverency that I was talking about. Still trembling to my hands and knees. Can you see the posture of prayer? The man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God, so listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up. Still trembling. <laughs> I stood up. Daniel, you are very precious to me. What would make God say that to a man? What would cause the God of creation 
to send a messenger down and make sure that the child knows that they are very precious. Well, all we have to do is look back up in the context just a little bit earlier. In verse 3, Daniel says, All that time I had eaten no rich food. That word rich right there could also be translated as desirable or precious. It's the same Hebrew word that was spoken to Daniel when he said, Daniel, you are very desirable to me. You are very precious to me. No meat or wine crossed my lips and I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. Brother didn't take a bath. <laughs> I was like, no, it's not recommended here, okay? It's not what we're saying. But what I am saying is the more that you lay down your desires, the more desirable you become. The more that you give up the things that you think you want, the more that God begins to reveal the things that He has. Listen to me. You may not smell good. You may not look good. You may not feel good. But in Him, you will be good. When you give up the things that He does not have for you, He will begin to pour out upon you the things that He does have for you. But it's not going to be anybody else's ownership or responsibility. It will be yours. See, Daniel was accustomed to this. Daniel was accustomed to this obedience because this obedience, because the king said, hey, nobody else is going to pray to anybody in this kingdom but me. And Daniel said, oh no, you're not going to stop my prayer. So Daniel went upstairs, opened up the window and prayed in front of everybody. Daniel said, I may be surrounded by enemies, but I'm encamped by angels. So when he went into that lion's den, he wasn't afraid because he knew in whom he had put his trust. Listen to me. As we close this morning, this is it. We need to take back our prayer. It's my prayer. It's my situation. It's my life. It's my family. It's my relationship with God. I don't have to pray to anybody but Jesus. And in his name, things will begin to happen and take place because when I pray, God hears me and he answers. You may take me from my home. You may take my friends. You may take my identity, my position, my pleasantries. You may take my desires, but you cannot take my prayer. You may take my health. You may take my comfort. You may take my calling. You may mess with my loved ones, but baby, you can't have my prayer. In fact, you're going to learn to quit messing with me because every time that you start poking me, I get stirred up to do more for the kingdom of God than I would have done if you'd have just left me alone. So the devil will ultimately start holding things back from going after you because he knows better. It's my prayer. It's my life. Nobody else's. It's my turn to pray. You can take a lot of things, but God help me. You cannot take my prayer. You can't take my relationship with God. And by the way, when you expose the enemy that way, he is bound by the word of God to restore it back to you seven times what he took away. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? Jesus, right now, I just pray that you would help us 
Help us to hear from you and to be obedient to you. I love this, and so I'm going to practice it today. It's probably one of the most efficient ways I have ever seen someone do an altar call. If you're in this room today, and you're confident in who you are in Christ, in fact, if today were your day, if this were your time to stand before Him, then you would stand before Him in humility and reverency, but you know you would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for following me. Come on in. If I'm talking to you and you're confident in that, and, and, there, and you should be if that's where you are, I want you to raise your hand right where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. I'm confident in that. Thank you. Hands going up all over the room. Good. You should be. You should be. Your confidence should be in Him. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. Listen to me. If you didn't just raise your hand, then heaven has halted right now and is waiting on you. If you didn't just raise your hand, now is your moment to make it right. Now is your moment to receive salvation or recommit to the salvation that you've already received. Now is your moment to receive confidence in who you are in Christ. So right now, if you're in the room and you know that I'm talking to you and you want to leave this place having given Jesus your life or given Jesus your life back, we're going to pray. And if you want to be included in that prayer, and you know that I'm talking to you. I just want you to lift your hand right where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Praise God. Anybody else? I don't want to leave you out. We want you to leave this place confident today. This isn't a gimmick. This is eternity. We're not playing games. We believe in the supernatural. We believe in the not just physical. If you're in the room today and you've been convicted by this message and you know that you need to stop feeling entitled before a perfect and holy God and start taking ownership of your prayer life, of your family. Start taking ownership of your relationship with Him and then watch Him work in that manner. If I'm talking to you, would you just confess to yourself and to God and let us know who we're praying for today? Would you just lift your hand right where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you. Hands going up all over the room. It's my prayer. I need to take ownership of it. Anybody else? It's my prayer. It's my relationship. Nobody's going to do it for me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to meet with Jesus. I'm going to grow in Christ. Church, would you say this prayer with me right where you are? Jesus, forgive us for our sin. The areas of our lives that we fall short. That separates us. We don't want to be separated. We want to be saved. So save me. Take my life. Make it yours. Give me the glory of ownership. Help me to follow you with all of my heart for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. 
The Bible says that if just one comes back to the fold, then all of heaven rejoices and praises God and the angels celebrate. Come on, could you stand this morning for all of those who prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time? I know you've been sitting for a while because I've talked too long, but can we make sure that they know that we...